Good evening. It's great that everybody could be out this evening. It's, not, it's a kind of a cold night, for sure. But um, what I'd like to do is read a passage in Jeremiah to start off. And this is something that I read in my, just my readings and kind of sets the context a little bit about this passage we're looking at, Acts chapter 7. So uh, Jeremiah 11, uh, 1 to 8, Jeremiah 11. Jeremiah 11, 1 says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hear the words of this covenant, and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt, from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice, and do according to all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. So I answered and said, So be it, Lord. Then the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant, and do them. For I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed their dic- the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore I will bring down upon bring upon them all the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. And so that kind of gives a little context, just kind of reiterates some of the things that we've been talking about is Stephen recounts the history of Israel in Acts chapter seven. So let's take a look at the actual passage, Acts chapter seven this evening and um Again, it's a long chapter, and try and get through some of it this evening, a bit more this evening. We left off at Joseph, Abraham and Joseph. We're going to look at starting in verse 17 with the starting of Moses. So Acts chapter 7, 17 says, But when the time of the promise drew nigh or near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose, which did, who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our fathers, making them expose their babies so they, they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up, as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and in deeds. Now when he was forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand." And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? 
Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when he was forty, and when forty years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, "I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob." And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who were in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. And that's all we'll read for now. So last week, we took, uh, we took a look at the first part of the chapter. And as you recall, the context of chapter 7, it, of course, follows chapter 6. And the last part of chapter 6 was where the, the people were not happy with Stephen's preaching. And so they brought false accusations against him and came to the, hear, the ears of the, the Jewish leaders, and, and he was accused of being against Moses, against the temple, and against the law. And so, verse 1 says, you know, the priest asked, are these things so? Are these things so? We talked a little bit about why Stephen doesn't directly address his accusations. Instead, he, he has this long... Um, sermon about the history of Israel and uses that as a, an opportunity to turn the tables on them, starting at verse 51, and accuse them of being unfaithful to the law. We look mainly through three individuals, or we're going to be looking through. We looked at Abraham, we looked at Joseph last week, we're going to look at Moses this time. The time period we, is covered is between the time of Abraham and up till the time of the temple, Solomon's temple. And we see here also, um, as, I, as I mentioned, you know, Abraham and Joseph were addressed last week. We talked about, just briefly, about how Joseph is a wonderful picture and type of the Lord Jesus. And I think we're probably going to be able to see some of those things in Moses as well. Um, this is going to be talking about the, the part of the section is going to be talking about Moses, of course. And so Moses really is the, the area that they had a problem with. You know, they were accusing Stephen of going against what Moses said. And so Stephen brings Moses into the picture here. So this is, this is going to be very important in his message, in his defense. We see in this passage, as we look and compare Old Testament uh, you know, passages, we see a bit of some fleshing out some context, I guess, some, some more details we don't get in the actual passages in Genesis and Exodus. And um, before I begin in verse 17, anybody have any lingering thoughts between verses 1 to 16 they want to bring up about Abraham, Joseph?
Okay, if not, then I guess I'll ask the first question, or one of the questions in the bulletin. It says there, verse 17, when the time of the promise drew near, what is the promise that is talked about here? What's it referring to? What is this promise? It was a promise that the people of Israel would greatly increase. In the first many years, they only got up to about 70 or 75, depending which passage you look at. But after the end, they had uh, a lot more. In fact, they had um, 600,000 men for fighting. So they went from 70 up to 600,000. That's quite an increase. So the promise of Abraham came true. Yes, your descendants would be like the stars of the the sand of the sea. The stars of the sky. There's also another promise that I was thinking of. Genesis 15. And it says here, and that links that. Genesis 15 verse 13 says, then God said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. Genesis fifteen fourteen, And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good, good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall return here. The iniquity of the Amorites, or the Canaanites, really, is not yet complete. So way back in, in the time of Abraham, Abram, even before he was Abraham, Abram, God had promised all the events that was going to, were going to unfold, that, they would be, that his descendants would go down to Egypt. They would greatly multiply. They would be oppressed for four, it says there, for four, four generations. And then they shall return. That's one of the promises that God made. And even in our passage in verse, I think, verse 5. And God gave him no inheritance, but he promised to give it to him. So the promise of God was fulfilled. And that's what Stephen is referring to. The promise of God to multiply Abraham's Descendants, as, as Don said, and also give them the land of Egypt, the, the land of Canaan. And God had promised that all the way back in Abraham's time. I think it's uh, it, the, what Stephen is emphasizing to these Jews is this that everything they have as Jews, as the nation, is God's gift, it's promise, not their right. You know, they look down on the Gentiles, they they were proud, they were uh, very ethnocentric, uh, they, they despised everybody else. And so what he's emphasizing is, and he emphasizes the God of glory. It wasn't for God. God does everything in this chapter. That's, that's what's being emphasized. So here... When he says, but when the time of the promise drew near. And so, you know, like it's not they conquered the land. No, the land was given by God's promise. 
And, uh, and so that's what he's emphasizing. And I think we can learn from that as well. When we, for example, when we speak in, in the church, you know, we need to emphasize uh, certain parts of the scriptures, what is applicable for the audience. Uh, it's not just speaking truth, but truth with a message. Yes. <clears throat> there is a, a difference between the number of people. Um, in, 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 in verse 14, there it says 75. Back in Genesis 46, verse 27, it says 70. Difference of five. In, in Genesis, it's, it's, it's in the Hebrew. But most likely, um, Stephen was quoting from the Greek in, in Acts 7.17. And the difference may be that, that uh, there's a difference um, in how the Hebrews counted Jacob's family and how the, the Greek translation did. It's not, it's not the same, it's a difference in how they Jacob's family. Yes, that's right. It's important to remember. It's a good point that the Bible does not have contradictions. There's, there's a rational reason. Maybe it's beyond the scope of what um, we're going to be talking about this evening, but it's good to for sure. So, um, so we mentioned verse 17 talks about the people multiplying. Verse 18 talks about a king that rose up that did not know Joseph, did not know Joseph's family, and uh, this man dealt treacherously with with the people of Israel. They he he put them under bondage, under slavery, oppressed them, even to the point of uh, talks about exposing their babies. As we know, the story of of the uh, of the babies that were murdered, and. Um, Moses, his mother, hid him for three months because uh, she saw he was beautiful. And how that all played out. There are many similarities between the Lord Jesus and Moses. You see that already here. Both experienced as children an oppressive king, King Herod and Pharaoh. And... Uh, uh, it says here the child they saw that the child was uh, beautiful now I'm not sure if that meant physical beauty but at least um, we know with the Lord Jesus that he was well pleasing to God so there is a certain choice already in God's mind even Moses was in God's mind to pick, to use so of course the Lord Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one he is the chosen one. So there are all kinds of similarities. You see that especially brought out in the Gospel of Matthew. Right. And you, you bring a good point up. Like it says in verse 20, Moses was born, he was well pleasing to God. And in the, in the account in Exodus, he talks about his mother saying she was, he was a beautiful child. But how would a baby being born be well pleasing to God? Like, is it like looking ahead? Like he knew that. Moses would be chosen of God to do the work of God, or does it mean something else? Like, what does it mean while pleasing to God as a baby? 
Yeah. He knew his plan was going to be for him. You know, he, he picked him out specifically for this purpose. And <coughs> knowing that he would fulfill, fulfill those purposes. Yeah. You know, he had a special place. Yeah. Special purpose. So, um, talks about the story in verse 21 about how eventually the baby couldn't be hidden anymore and uh, the whole time when Moses was put on the river found by Pharaoh's daughter Pharaoh's daughter took him to be his, her own son and uh it says, uh, like verse 21 talks about, took him away, brought him up as her own son. And Moses learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds, verse 22. So Moses is definitely a privileged person. Like he, being in the, imagine being in the court or in, within, the fam, within the royal family of, the, of Egypt. Imagine all the privileges you would have had you would have had access to all the education in the world, your world. You would have had a lot of privilege and blessing and affluence, I guess you might say. And so he was raised in this. And so he, he was a very unique individual to be called of God. Now, we don't know his, you know how he, his attitude towards it, whether he was humble about this whole thing or he was proud of this whole thing I don't know we don't really get a sense you know God eventually worked in his life we'll see that but um, he was a very unique individual to be called of God to do what he was called to do he will be called to do so um, found interesting it says in verse 22 that he was a man who was mighty in words and in deeds. So one of the questions there in the, in the bulletin is, how do we understand this verse when we consider the account Exodus? Anybody remember what, how Moses reacted when God called him? About, specifically about speech? Yeah, he said he wasn't very good with speech. Yeah, exactly. So how do we... How do we relate these two things? Like, so obviously he was he was trained in maybe or 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 dialogue, just debate, whatever. Or, or yeah, exactly. Uh, we can't get it anyway. But when it came down, now of course this is we're talking forty years later, so that may may play a part as well. But the fact that he was trained in those things, and then when he encountered God. He said, I, I'm not good with speech. How do we relate to those things? Is it possible that it <clears throat> burned in his memory was the incident when uh, he tried to tell the two Jewish yes. people who were fighting, he tried to separate them <clears throat> from they shouldn't be fighting and they told him where to go in a sense. Yeah. He had thought he had no place in trying to be an intervener between right. the Jews and the Egyptians. Exactly. Uh, rather, but it does talk about stammering at some point, doesn't it, somewhere? Uh, or does he say that about himself? Yeah, something like that. 
Now, the, the word for when it says mighty in words and deeds, the word for words is logos. So it's not necessarily that this refers to his ability to express himself, but that he would have been a learned man yeah. in that sense, that he had all the learning, but as we then find out from Exodus where he says himself, he was not good in expressing it. Yeah. So I don't see any, you know, the person can have a lot of knowledge, like he certainly would have had an education, but not necessarily a good speaker. Yes. I guess my point is just that there's no contradiction. And I mean, that's certainly a valid point. Also, if, if it is talking about that he was good at debate, you know, 40 years later in the desert, shepherding sheep, he maybe had lost a lot, a lot of those skills. He talking to sheep. Yeah. So there's definitely a, a good reason. You don't necessarily know what the reason is, but some good good thoughts in those areas. Every time Moses gave an excuse back in Exodus 3 and 4, the Lord kind of contradicted what he was saying. And yes. for example, when he said, you know, that he couldn't speak, he said, well, you know, who made you? Who made you? Who, you know, who made you tongue as it were? And he, then he said, I'm going to also give you air in your, 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 your relatives to, to help you. And then he gave him the sign of the rod that was turned into a snake, and then back into a rod again. And his hand turned into leprosy and then back in again and so on. So he gave him signs. And I think all of those things would convince him that, okay, this is this is going to be okay in the end, and he did go. But it took a time for him to be convinced. Yeah. I was just thinking, Bill, was reading this um, account of Moses and the children of Israel and how when you look back at what God has done, we can think about how like mighty God is and we can praise him for what he's done. But when you think about the people living through that, like the 400 years that they were in bondage, um, you know, he lived between like year 300 and 400, like that would have been pretty miserable. Especially once Pharaoh said like you have to throw all of your boys into the river when they're born. Like just think of the suffering that they would have gone through with little or no hope. Um, and thinking about like I was just listening to a message on the way here about suffering and how it's kind of when you're through the other side and you can look back that you finally can see the purpose when you're going through it. It's just miserable. And really the only answer is to trust God. And, and, and like often that's all we have to, to go on when we're in suffering. I was just thinking about that. I was reading this. Like When you look back on what God has done, it's, it's wonderful, but in the moment it must have been pretty terrible. Okay, so then we see in verse 23 that he was 40 years old. So, for whatever reason, when he turned 40, yeah, maybe he had a midlife crisis, I don't know, but anyway, he was 40 years old, and it came to his heart to visit his brother. So, and then he felt, and then it says in verse, you know, verse 25, why did he do that? What was his, what was his motivation? Well, he felt that God had would deliver them by his hand. It's interesting that he had that impression in his own mind, in his heart, that he would be the deliverer of his people. And so he went out and visited his own people. 
That's an interesting insight that I never, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know that necessarily from, from the Exodus as strongly, I guess, as, as we see here. And um, we you know the story of the fact that he he uh, defended one of his of his brethren. He killed the Egyptian. The next day, um, he saw two other. So he, he went back again. You know, again, supposing that he would deliver them. And then the two others were fighting. And the one who was wronging his neighbor. And interesting what he says, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? That was in verse 27. So Moses wanted to be a ruler and a judge, in a sense, a deliverer. And then when he offered that to the people, they rejected him, right? They were going back to the... Um, the picture of the Lord Jesus. When the Lord Jesus offered himself as the ruler, they rejected him. And so this individual rejected Moses in his intervention, and he pushed him aside, and he he was he was well aware in verse 28 of the fact that Moses had killed a man the day before. And so that must have been a quite a shock, because I'm sure that Moses, when he killed the Egyptian, was not it was not something that he wanted to do in in the open. He probably did it in trying to hide the whole thing and trying to hide this man's body. And yet somehow word got out in the community. And Moses knew if it was if the word got out within the community of the Israelites, then it would eventually get to the word the word would eventually get to the royal family, and he would be in big trouble from that, for sure. And so we fled. We fled away. I think Stephen is using that argument to say what he says in verse 35, when he says, This Moses whom they rejected, although he, in practice, he was only rejected by this one man. But he makes it they reject, as if that man stood for the whole nation. Yes. And so in that sense, there is again another similarity between Moses and the Lord Jesus. So that first time when Moses supposed uh, that, in verse 25, that, that Moses wanted to deliver his people is a picture of the Lord Jesus at his first coming and then at his second coming the Lord Jesus will actually deliver the nation of Israel and so uh, Stephen takes the similarity between Moses and compares them to the Lord Jesus and then course we find from verse 51 on your fathers were rejected the prophets and so on the leaders and you guys are no better 
I'm going to ask a question again. Um, more of a practical note. That's one, that's one part of that passage that I think is definitely true. Can we also see a lesson in this that, you know, it says it came into his own heart that he wanted to deliver him. And, but then later on, 40 years later, the angel came to him and appeared to him. Like, that, you know, sometimes we do things out of our own strength. We think we're going to be the, the problem solver. And, like, God didn't, that wasn't the plan for Moses at that time. He thought he was going to be the ruler right away. And this is not, this is not a new insight or anything. I'm just kind of bringing it up and just thinking of it. But, like, Practically speaking, for us, we sometimes forget that we have to take the Lord, to make Him the, the one who leads us. And I think that, you know, it's clearly indicated here that it came into His heart to visit His brothers. It doesn't say that the Lord directed Him to do that at that time. And so it's interesting to see, because, you know, sometimes you read these things and you just think, like, well, Moses was handpicked by the Lord, and, like, nobody, none of us could ever do any of these types of things because God doesn't. You know, it doesn't have a plan for us to do these things. We can't do it in our own strength. And so we think we can never, who knows, maybe there's a person in here that is, you know, got his hand picked to do something specific and he's just waiting for you to be ready. You know, and so I think that I sort of see that in, in Moses. Here. It's like he's got all his knowledge in his mind, so he thinks worldly to a certain extent, but he hasn't been trained by God yet. And he needed that time in the wilderness to be, you know, God to show him this is this is my plan for you. Cool your jets, and I'll tell you when you're ready. And I just think that that's a good lesson for us to remember about those that I take from this passage too. Yes, for sure. Somebody once said it took 40 years for Moses to learn to be somebody, and then 40 years to be a nobody. Yeah. And then 40 years to serve God right. I mean, was right. I mean, right. Like often you see that in scripture. Moses had to be a shepherd for 40 years before he could shepherd the nation. And um, David was a shepherd, and the patriarch was shepherds. And, like we see that, like there was many others that were shepherds as well. So before you can do something uh, for the Lord, as far as taking care of God's people, you have to learn to be a shepherd. That, that is the lesson for sure we can learn there. So, that was a good point. So, when, but let's not pass by like verse 30. There's 40 years have passed. Imagine, going back to what you said, David, but, so God, or, well, he was in his heart, he was in his own heart, I guess. We, going with that direction, that it was in his own heart that he, he thought he would deliver his people. He wasn't. So his, his dream died, you might say. He, imagine 40 years, maybe every day he thought, I thought I was going to be the deliverer of my people. But here I am, I'm just looking after sheep. Can you imagine how he must have felt? Like for 40 years, he must have thought, well, I'm totally washed up. I... God is done with me. Whatever God might have ever wanted to do with me is done. And I'm getting old. And I'm looking after sheep in the desert. My people are in Egypt being oppressed. God is done with me. My dream has died and there's no, no coming back, you know. So I'm sure he must have been discouraged. 
Let's just, I'm just kind of reading behind the line, between the lines here. <coughs> Thinking of Eric, he must have been discouraged for 40 years. Think about that. Well, there's some parallels here between uh, Moses and uh, Joseph. Mm-hmm. They both uh, did something unwise. Uh, Moses killed uh, the Egyptian. Uh, Joseph uh, told his brothers and his, and his, and his parents that, uh, that he was going to rule over them. And uh, then going back to what uh, David was uh, alluded to there, his timing. They had, they, it, it wasn't Moses' time. He wasn't ready for it. It wasn't his time. And it wasn't God's time. God had a particular time. And when God was ready to move, he moved, he moved Moses. And it probably ties as he, back. As he did Joseph. It would have tied back into the, what we started off with the promise of God was coming near. The promise of God coming near that they would go back to the land. And then this whole thing with Moses was happening as well. God was working to bring it all to fulfillment and bring it all together. Yeah, for sure. The other thing that amazes me is that you read that Moses was 40 and he was grown up, you know, with a silver spoon, you might say, in his mouth. He's had all the benefits and privileges, and yet his Jewishness. Hasn't been washed out of him. He's, uh, he cares for his people, so yes. you just sort of learn from that that obviously when his mother raised him, mm-hmm. that she really inculcated into him yes. who he really was and who God was and who the people were and the special place that God had for them. And he, you know, in those four years, you know, he didn't forget his roots, if you will. That's true. Which is a pretty amazing thing. Yeah, it speaks to the power of our mother's influence. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm too through the whole thing is, because we know the whole story, but Moses didn't know the whole story. So when he was 40 years in Egypt, God had a reason for him there to learn the whole, whole matter. He made sure living in Egypt, with the people and the language. Then he was gone 40 years in the desert looking after sheep. Now if you're looking after sheep, you have to be, learn to be very patient, and we see that when he goes back, when he takes the nation of Israel through, he has, he's leading them, and, uh, not a flock of sheep more or less. So you see the whole thing, how it all works out, and we, we read the whole story, but he didn't know the whole story. No. So there's a lot of things going through his mind. But in, in this way you see that no matter what, even in this life, we know that God's in control. And when you think another thing about Moses, we know from Exodus that for the first little while he was actually hired, uh, his mother was hired by Pharaoh's daughter. So there was a very small window of opportunity to impress Moses with the God of Israel. And that his parents certainly did that. And then when he was at a certain age, we don't know exactly, he went to the Pharaoh's house. Yes. And after that, most likely, he had no more influence from his parents. And I just want to say on a practical note, we all have children. And when we have small children, we have a small window of opportunity, maybe a little longer than most parents. 
but what children learn at a young age, they never forget. So we need to use the opportunity that we have to impress the children with the Word of God. That's more important than anything else. More important than the riches of Egypt. So then the next few verses, verse 32 to verse 34, talks about Moses' encounter with God and God revealing himself to Moses. Like we don't know Moses' spiritual state at this time, um, but God presented himself as the God of, of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He goes right back to the, the covenant, he goes back to the patriarchs, and, and God calls him to this time. And um, God's, in verse 34, it talks about, you know, God is, what the oppression of the, of the Israelites in Egypt was not something that God was not aware of. Again, it, it was promised all the way back in Genesis 15, we read it. God knew this was going to happen, and he was fulfilling all the, bring it all together, bring it all to pass. And he was going to deliver his people. And he was going to use Moses to do that. And it says in verse 35, this Moses, again, whom they rejected, like, like Leonard said, this individual, and also representing the whole of the people, they rejected, but God is the one who established Moses as what? Verse 35, as a ruler and a deliverer. And so we talked about it a number of times this evening, it was just not the time. It was not the timing for Moses. This was but but this was the time. This was the time when God would raise him up after the things he learned and the lessons he, he learned and both in glory, you might say, in the royal palace and in humiliation in the desert. Moses, take up your stick and go. And he was called to do what God had called him to do. He went and did what God had called him to do. And God had called him to be a ruler and a deliverer. And so we can, we can rejoice in that, that God used this individual who thought he was washed up to do a mighty work. And as Dave said, we don't know what God will do in our lives either. We may not do the mighty things that Moses did, but God is still working in our lives, in our lives as well. So I'm going to finish off there, unless anybody has any thoughts. Kind of finished off in verse 35, where God raised up Moses to deliver his people. Talk a little bit about the deliverance next time. Anyone have any thoughts? You look in Hebrews 11, it says about four times over, it says that by faith, Moses, and it started with his parents, by faith, they hid him. So there was a lot of faith involved in, in his family and, and in Moses himself to do what he did. 